Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to kick things off on the Wednesday. No, Tuesday. Recording this Tuesday. It's really a big day for the NFL. Seeing a ton of news right now with players opting out, specifically New England Patriots players. I think some are saying tank, you know, Patriots are tanking. Bill Belichick's a mastermind. But, like, Marcus Cannon is a former cancer survivor. And Dante Hightower's mom is at risk with immune disease. And he also had a kid on July 16th. I think, I think what's happening – is Bill Belichick, I think, is telling his players, you know, to put family first and put health concerns first, especially knowing kind of the ceiling that is on this season, even with Cam Newton, knowing, you know, how, how talented the rest of the AFC is with Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I don't know. I, I'm not diving into this whole conspiracy theory that Bill Belichick is telling his players to opt out. I think players are opting out for health and safety reasons. Yeah, that's if you believe that he's telling them, like you're a little too far down the rabbit hole, in my opinion. Like you're a little 100%. too big of a conspiracy theorist. Like th- these are just guys who, uh, and I've had talks with people inside the league and heard you know, some of the things being discussed on these coronavirus calls that the 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 players union has had. And there are guys who are legitimately nervous. Like there are guys out there who have legitimate concerns about if they're going to be protected by the NFL. And I think this is only the tip of the iceberg, like six guys in the Patriots. I think that's going to be almost the norm around the NFL. Once kind of the dust settles, it's not just going to be them that have guys opting out. There's going to be a lot of teams around the league that are going to be hampered by this and have guys who are going to be taking the year off. And some of the ones that are interesting to me though, are the guys who, uh, maybe weren't going to make the roster anyways. And they're just saying, Hey, I can get my 150 uh, <laughs> guaranteed right now. Uh, guys like Brandon Bolden and whatnot, who uh, aren't necessarily key cogs opting out. I think that might almost be a business decision for some of these guys. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Brandon Bolden, Kyle Van or Eddie Vanderdose, um, Caleb Brantley, these guys that potentially wouldn't even make the roster, but this $150,000 is quote unquote a stipend, but it's really a salary advance. One that has to be paid back to the NFL from your 2021 salary. So guys like Brantley, Vanderdose, Bolden that were potentially on the roster bubble, like paying back that 150K is going to be easier said than done if you don't make an NFL roster. Like that is going to be bad news bears for those guys. And you're kind of signing your career off at that point. If you're a fringe guy and you take a year off, what are the chances you're getting back in? It just does not seems like a little bit of a long shot for me or for those guys, to, in my opinion, that they ended up making a roster if you take a whole season off. So uh, we'll see. But I, like I said, I think there's going to be more of this trickling in in the coming days. Uh, a few th- more things I want to mention on the, the COVID situation, people opting out before we dive into the big board. You know, Mike recently released his top 50 players for the 2021 NFL draft. We're going to break down that top 50, talk about some of the main notables on that list. But before we do so, two things I want to mention. One, it's only 21 players have tested positive in the recent return for COVID. However, those are all rookies. Like veterans don't report to camp mm-hmm. until today. Like you're not going to see for another two to four days reports back on COVID testing for veterans uh, until probably Friday or Monday of next week, which I think you're going to see again, a higher number of positives, a higher percentage of the NFL continuing to pack COVID continues to impact the NFL. The other thing I want to mention was Dante Hightower, the linebacker for the New England Patriots, and also veteran safety Patrick Chung are both opting out. My th- and Marcus Cannon, another starter for them. Three names that came to mind, young players that I know you've evaluated um, that could see their first playing time in the NFL come as starters early in their careers. It is Josh Uche, 
the Michigan edge defender linebacker hybrid. You also have Kyle Duggar coming from Lenore Ryan, who didn't even start until high school, didn't start until his senior year of high school. So he's got very, very raw as a player. And then also Yadni Kajust, who didn't play a single regular season snap in 2019. However, um, I think was a third round pick in that 2019 NFL draft and graded well at West Virginia for us. Those three players come to mind as potential yes. replacements for all three of those guys. What's your overall take on this Patriots roster, knowing they could be leaning on some of these young guys? Yeah, when Duggar was drafted, that kind of was the uh, the ideal fit for him was just Patrick Chung, heir apparent. That one looked like the plan all along. So I think that is the seamless sort of transition. That's where he ends up on that roster. It probably gets starting time uh, sooner rather than later for them. Uh, the one I'm, I'm curious about is Hightower. And you mentioned Josh Uchi. I think they had plans for Anthony Jennings to be the Hightower sort of role in that mm-hmm. defense. So I'm wondering if Jennings, having played a similar, almost the exact uh, the same sort of role in Alabama's defense that Hightower did, if Jennings doesn't go uh, move to off ball and replace Hightower, sort of that blitzing thumper in the middle there. Man, I mean, the Patriots have lost so many starters from this. Deron Harmon, Kyle Van Oy, obviously Dante Hightower, Patrick Jamie Chong, Collins. like Jamie Collins. I mean, they, and they were obviously one of the better defenses in the NFL this past year, if not the best defense in the NFL, losing that many bodies. And I know Bill Belichick is this mastermind, and it doesn't matter the names on the jerseys. He always gets plus production from his guys. But you have to – you were already expecting regression from this defense if they returned every starter. Now you're seeing so many new faces along this defense. I, I'm interested to see how this Patriots team reacts. I know a lot of people are on board with them as a dark horse candidate to win the AFC East now ahead of the Buffalo Bills because they added Cam Newton. But are these losses too much for the Patriots to really do damage in the AFC? I don't think so. Like, I do think you have the what fueled that defense last year. And as good as, you know, Van Noy played. Uh, and Jamie Collins, what fueled the defense was Stefan Gilmore, Jason McCourty, and JC Jackson. That that was like, that was it. Mm-hmm. That is having three lockdown cornerbacks playing at that level is why they were as good as they were defensively. Now they're going to take a step back, but you're taking a step back from what was, you know, damn near an all-time defense. So I think yeah. if you can improve offensively at this point with Cam Newton and whatever they do offensively with him, I, I think you could see this team, Uh, balance out more but still be a very good team all right let's shift gears to the 2021 nfl draft and look at this top 50 list that is live on pff.com go check out pff's interactive 2021 nfl draft board you can check that out at pff.com slash draft slash draft board and you can also look at the 2020 draft board easily to toggle between the two i encourage you to look at the full list on the website but before i list off the top 10 guys give me an overview of this class the top end of this class what are some trends or some things that you're seeing from a positional strength standpoint Point, positional weakness standpoint for the 2021 class so I, I think quarterback class is special like truly something we probably haven't seen in quite some time in terms of the talent of those top three guys and they come in at one two and six on our board just because there are some other blue chip players at you know somewhat valuable positions that I just feel like are going to translate and are as close to sure things as you're going to get at the college level. And Penny Sewell, who's third in our board at off tackle, Jamar Chase, wide receiver, fourth on our board, the LSU guy. And then Micah Parsons, that linebacker, fifth on our board before Trey Lance comes off at number six. But that's more just indicative of how I don't feel great about Trey Lance just yet with his level of competition, but he has all the talent in the world to be any other year could be like a number one overall pick. Uh, that's how I feel about all three of those quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. So, 
some very blue blue chip talent at the top. Very good quarterback class, and I'm just going to say it: wide receiver class out of this world again. Truly uh, going to be loaded. Might even be better than last year. Offensive tackle class, I'm a big fan of in terms of the top end talent. Four guys in the offensive tackle class that make our top 20 players already. And then the safety class. I think we've touched on this a good deal already. Love the safety class. A lot of those guys who are our top safeties also made Bruce Feldman's freaks list. We talked about that last week. But this is just a very versatile, athletic safety class, the likes of which uh, we really haven't seen in a while. And after not a single safety went in round one last year, I think you'd see four or even five go in round one next season. I have two things there. One, I really do love this wide receiver class. I'm in love with Chris Olave. I love what he's done as a route runner. Like seeing him not be an elite athlete like some of the other guys in this class. Jalen Waddle has got speed for days. Rondell Moore is literally a freak of nature. Tutu Atwell landed on Bruce Stoneman's frequency, but not a freak athlete. Still dominate in single coverage. I talked to yeah. Steve Palazzola recently, who's working a lot on PFF stable versus unstable metrics for college to pro projections for NFL and NCAA teams. Chris Olave is up there in separation percentage and single coverage this guy gets it done against uh, in one-on-one situations and you see that on his tape the other thing I wanted to mention in addition to the safety class being very good and I really do like you know the top end of the safety class you mentioned four guys that could be in the first round I think the edge defender class is a lot of um, projection. I, yes. I, Gregory Rousseau has to get so much better. Jason Owe has to get so much better. Even Carlos Basham Jr. I think still needs to get a lot better. Uh, these guys, you know, Carlos Basham Jr. was fourth on the freaks list. Quiddy Pay, I think, was first. You, you have a lot of very freaky edge defenders in this upcoming class, but I think of all of them, maybe Basham has the most polish, a guy that's gotten it done the most along the edge, but still, this edge defender group, I think, largely projection. I'm excited to see in 2020 barring that there is a season, which of those guys really steps up to be edge one? Because I think the production is what's missing for the group. I like that call out because you touched on it. These guys are athletic. This is an athletic edge class. Uh, and Quiddipi was number one, you know, Carlos Basham, uh, even Xavier Thomas is a pretty yes, darn good athlete. I, I didn't mention his, his name. Right. And, he's, and, <laughs> he's and Gregory guy. Rousseau, like those guys are all just, they got it. They got all the physical aspect down pat. Like you don't need much more. There's not much more you could ask for. They can have, they can be elite producers off the edge in the NFL with the physical tool sets they all have. Now, why haven't we seen elite production from them yet? Well, one of the reasons is a lot of them are super young. A lot of these guys are rising juniors or rising redshirt sophomores. Like they are not, uh, this isn't a veteran group. I think only Quiddy Pay and Carlos Basham uh, could have declared for the draft last year of the edge defenders in our top 50. Uh, I guess Chris Rumpf could have too. Uh, so, and he's kind of in his own group that we'll talk about a little later, but I, I do think that sort of the sky is the limit. Like we could be talking about this edge class six months from now after the season and saying, damn, uh, you know, five guys might go in the top 20, five guys might go in the top 15. That's how mm-hmm. much talent there is from a physical perspective. All right, let's get into it. We're going to break this down to a few segments here. We're going to break down the top 10 in full, list every name, dive into it, offer some insight on the top 10 players on this list. Then we're going to look at on this list, who can improve their stock the most. Of course, some of those edge defenders will be on there, those guys that are largely projection right now. Then we're going to call it right now. There are going to be some guys in this class. There's guys like this every year. Curtis Weaver comes to mind from this past year's class. 
um, as guys that PFF will be higher on than the consensus because of the production, because of what they do on the football field and not so much the traits and all those things. So we're going to highlight those guys as well. And the last segment will be last call, just highlighting some notables from the 50 list, some guys we want to bring up that could be um, names to watch in 2020. All right, starting with this top 10 here, I'm going to read it off and then we kind of rip it up from there. Number one, Obvious. Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, he's going to be first on a lot of people's boards entering this year. He's going to be first on a lot of people's boards when it's all said and done. Number two, Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback. After that, uh, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle for Oregon, a guy that's graded so well in PFS system, so insane what he does with his feet. We had Jeff Schwartz on earlier or a few episodes back and really wax poetic former Oregon duck himself about Penny Sewell. He was was all in. Stroking. Yeah. Uh, Jamar Chase, wide receiver LSU, comes in at number four. Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State, might be the best linebacker prospect we've seen since, what, Reuben Foster. Trey Lance, North Dakota State quarterback. Rondale Moore then comes in there at seven. Um, Alex Leatherwood, the uh, Alabama offensive tackle, at eight. Marvin Wilson, Florida State defensive interior, at number nine. And then Gregory Rousseau, the Miami edge defender, there at ten. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence at one. Justin Fields at two, and then you have Trey Lance down there at six. What is the biggest difference? Let's start to kind of break it down this way. What is the biggest difference between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Why right now is Lawrence ahead of Fields, and how close are those two prospects? I think there's a f- couple different things uh, that between Lawrence and Fields that I've already – that I would like Lawrence better. One is just sample size. Two years of dominating at the college football level – uh, as well as Lawrence is dominated is better than one. Like if a guy's done it for longer, you're just going to feel more comfortable about it. And the second thing is just the way basically poise is I guess the best way to put it. Trevor Lawrence already has that NFL level of dealing with blitzes, dealing with tight pockets, dealing with just like things where you're under pressure and have to make quick decisions with the football. That, that's Lawrence like to a T the thing that, that, that a lot of guys struggle with when projecting from college to the NFL, because you have so much more time in college, these massive pockets. Uh, we've seen it with Baker Mayfield being able to deal with pressure uh, and how much that can hamper you as a young quarterback. I have zero question marks about Lawrence in that regard. Absolutely not. He could step on an NFL field tomorrow. I mean, he could step on against the Alabama defense, in the national championship game and carve him up as a true freshman. Like he has that ability to just deal with adversity and he's shown it again and again in his career at Clemson. So I'm not worried about him in that regard fields. I am, I do not feel that same level of comfort. And and that's just sort of, I I think I've said this before uh, on the podcast. If you were to tell me fields is better than Lawrence in three years in the NFL, I I wouldn't be surprised. You were to tell me Trey Lance is better than both of them in three years in the NFL. I wouldn't be surprised. That's the level of talent we're working with, with these three guys, but it's about how safe you feel then because all three of these guys are so incredibly talented with what they can do from arm strength perspective and accuracy perspective that you want the guy who you feel most comfortable about doing the other like little things it takes to be an NFL quarterback. And to me, that's Trevor Lawrence at this point, not quite Justin Fields. I don't want to say he's bad at those by any means, but Trevor Lawrence is just like as good as I've seen at the college level at that. 
something that I, I think needs to come up earlier in, in both of those, both of those evaluations is their athletic ability. Both Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are very, very good athletes. And as we've seen, you know, with the quarterback position, in the NFL, like you need to be able to move. You need to like Patrick Mahomes can move Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen is not one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, but has success because he does have that mobility. I think these statues are no longer viable in the NFL guys that you need. In addition to having good pocket presence, you need to be able to move with your, feet and make plays with your feet and I think you see that with Trevor Lawrence like Trevor Lawrence could tear it up in a system that leans on his running game I think that's almost what they have to do Justin Herbert in a similar way was a guy that had really good underrated feet underrated athletic ability that when shown in games could really do well I, I think that's something that really stands out for me with Lawrence and Fields yeah Lawrence probably gonna run four six Fields maybe four five five in that that's range <laughs> Lance probably about the same four five something these guys are all that's that's the crazy thing. That's why I say like this quarterback class is different because there's not really uh, there's not really a lot of negatives. Like there's not really a lot of physical things that you would like a quarterback to do that they don't do already. And they're all very young. I think Fields is actually the oldest of the bunch, and he just turned 21. Uh, they're all uh, 20 or 21. All, all redshirt uh, sophomores or true juniors. It's pretty ridiculous. Absolutely. I, I didn't even mention it at the top of the podcast, but at the back end here, we're going to interview Seth Galina, PFF's own Seth Galina. We talk a lot about this quarterback class. We also bring up the Montreal dating scene, one of which that Seth Galina is notably Reading struggling about, in. Through, I mean, I, here's a take. Here's a take. We interviewed him already. We're going to play the interview at the end of the pod, but I'll bring this up to tease it a bit. I asked him for an elevator pitch on Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Dude, wax is poetic. It's like 30 minutes of conversation. It's like, dude, that's how you're losing these first dates. Get in, get out. Offer some valuable insight, man. You're just like running on here. I don't know. I don't want to give him dating advice on the pod now, but – there's a little tip, man. You got you got to you got to speak quicker. Speak with some conviction. Anyway, going back to this list, I want to jump to Penny Sewell. There are no other tackles, in, or no, they are. There are two tackles in the top ten. It's Penny Sewell there at three, and then Alex Leatherwood at eight. Is you know we talked about Penny Sewell a lot. Is he really you know the best offensive tackle prospect we've seen in two or three years? Just put on a on a scale for me, just how good this guy is. I mean, I can how good he is is that at 19 years old last year, he would have unquestionably been the top tackle drafted in last year's class, like with Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, Kai Becton, all those guys, Tristan Wirfs, freak athletes, Penny Sewell, it would not have even been a conversation. Was he the top tackle off the board? That's how good he is. And he was 19 years old. I think he turns 20 in a few months. Like he's going to be 20 when he's drafted 20 when he's starting his first game as a rookie in the NFL. And uh, I, I would bet you could step out on an NFL field tomorrow and pass protect at a high level, be an above average offense tackle. That's the type of talent we're talking about at 19 years old. So it's just rare. Like we wax about the learning curve at offensive tackle that seeing a guy be average as a freshman in college is incredible. He was not, he was not only average as a freshman, he was one of the best tackles in college football as a true freshman back in 2018. So that's the level of prospect we're talking about. Anything you want, uh, he brings to the table. So that's why he's number three on this list and why you know, he's above a QB because we just feel like no matter – yes, you get a elite level quarterback, but we know you're getting an elite offense tackle in Penny Sewell. Mm-hmm. Man, and, and with Penny Sewell, I'm going to bring up Alex Leatherwood as well. Again, at eight on PFS top 50 rankings. The, the, the thing that I find myself looking for at offensive tackle – so much after watching this past year's class's feet. Who who are the athletes in this class? And Sewell, again, 
incredible talent, incredible feet, moving out on screens in Oregon's offense is just so impressive. What he does when he's moving to the second level never looks out of uh, out of balance. And Leatherwood, another guy with smooth moving feet, very clean pass sets in my opinion. I think his hands need work, but like when you have that, you know, that those movement skills, those movement skills to stick with speed at the linebacker position, at edge defender, whoever you're blocking, that translates to the NFL. And that's what you see with Penny Sewell and Alex Leatherwood. Am I wrong to be looking so much at movement skills for offensive tackle? Well, it's because getting in the right position, getting the right relationship between you and the guy you're trying to block is 90% of blocking. Like mm-hmm. the, I, 90% might be an exaggeration. I kind of just pulled that out of my ass right there. But <laughs> it, it is a vast, it is the by far and away the most important aspect of it. You can, and then the other things can somewhat be coached up in terms of how to use your hands better, how to, you know, how to get, you know, getting stronger. You can get stronger usually if you're a 300 pound man who's athletic. Uh, you can't teach a guy to move. You know, you can't teach a guy to have feet. That's just not something that just improves overnight, especially when you're that big of a dude that is, you know, these fits the size profile to play offensive tackle. So guys like, Sewell and Leatherwood, when you see it, you, you feel pretty good about their chances of success in the NFL. All righty. Let's go, jump to this receiver group here. I want to talk specifically Jamar Chase. He comes in at number four ahead of Micah Parsons and Trey Lance. And then you also have Rondale Moore there at seven. Jamar Chase, I, I remember we talked about him a little bit in 2020. We've talked about him a lot. The first thing that pops out for me is the speed. I, I think he's a very, very fast receiver. The verticals he ran at LSU were really impressive. I always thought Jamar Chase was a better receiving prospect than even Justin Jefferson, who racked up production in that LSU offense. But if you watch it closely, watch him against Trayvon Diggs and some of these other cornerbacks that are more physical, the dude is a bully, an absolute bully at the line of scrimmage. When you have that combination, people are already making Julio Jones, Megatron, just ridiculous comps to this guy. But, I mean – this is, I think, what they think people think maybe Denzel Mims could be, like a bigger receiver that's physical and that's very lightning fast on vertical routes. Jamar Chase, again, best receiver in this class. That's obvious. How, how much better can it get? How much better does it get with uh, Jamar Chase? I don't know. Like that, he, he won't <laughs> produce more this year. Yeah. But I, I've racked my brain trying to come up with comps for Jamar Chase, and there's really not a lot of great comps for him in terms of the skill set he brings to the table at – only six foot, but 210, like an odd body type, somewhat, there's not a lot of guys that in the history, you know, past decade or so is when, when you usually make comps that I can think of that play the way he does at that size, where it's just, he could beat you with power, he can beat you with speed, uh, he can beat you um, with physicality, flying scrimmage, he can beat you with his hands, he can beat you with just the fact that he has better ball skills and he was going to track the ball better in the air. Uh, he's not you know, your prototypical 6'3", 220, bigger wide receiver, but he did not at any point get out physical last year. So there's, I, like I said, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I have racked my brain for forever trying to think of someone that you know, has a similar game to him, but he's just, he is a rare breed. Maybe that's all we got to leave it at at this point. I mean, the Trayvon Diggs game really stands out to me. I mean, you go against a guy that's, that tries to play physical with everyone he goes against, and dude just dominated him, absolutely dominated him left and right. Like, could not, you know, Trayvon Diggs simply couldn't stick with Jamar Chase in that game. It was in a very impressive matchup for that one. And also the A.J. Terrell game. I mean, yes. the OPI one, that was definitely an OPI that didn't get called. But the other 
times he beat them deep. Just being able to stack receivers, you know, stack, excuse me, cornerbacks down the field consistently the way he did is it's just rare to see a guy like that. That's why he's, you know, fourth on our board here. I mean, another guy, though, in the same breath you could mention is very rare is Rondell Moore, the Purdue wide receiver that, you know, didn't play a ton this past year due to injury. But you look at his true freshman season, he's done things that other receivers wish they could do across their career, across four years of playing in the NCAA. What this guy can do after the catch, special even before the catch, creates separation very well. Some drop concerns on his game, but they're more focused drops rather than contested catch situations and those things. But I think Rondell Moore overall, another rare rare piece of the puzzle of this really really good 2021 receiver class yeah the more i watched him the more i think he can almost be like a steve smith at the nfl let's level. go you don't so have those to, are the comps that keep coming though where you don't have to throw him everyone sees five nine one seventy five and it's like slot slot receiver yep. i don't think he has to be a slot receiver i, I think that's selling his skill set short and that's why he's seventh on this list because i don't think he's just your Give it to him on a jet sweep guy. Give it to him on the wide receiver screen guy. That's all he's bringing to the table. And maybe he's like a vertical slot weapon. No, I think he can actually win on the outside a little more consistently. And that's giving him credit for. So, uh, and, and yes, he will win down the field as well uh, on the outside. He just has that explosiveness and juice to him that you can't coach. So I, I need to see him play more football. Though. I'm sad that we didn't get to see him last year. But he, even in Dude. the games we did see in Nevada, Vanderbilt, he was winning down the field from the outside. Uh, and that's just that's where I think he can continue. I think he continued to do that at the NFL level. All right, last two names in the top ten before we dive into some of the other segments here. It's Marvin Wilson, the defensive interior at Florida State, and then also Gregory Rousseau uh, at Miami, Florida. I think Wilson a bit more polished, or maybe even a lot more polished than Rousseau. This guy's got this guy's got a ton of technique. I. I He's not – I don't think he's overly explosive, but I do think he wins with his first step a lot. Like, he can win with his first step as an interior defensive lineman. He wins with his hands early in the snap. You see that in single games this past year. He's one of the highest-rated interior defensive linemen in college football this past year. Decided to come back to school. I think you could bank on him being a top-five, top-ten graded player at his position in 2020. That – if a season does happen, of course, I, I really do like Marvin Wilson's game. However, if I had to highlight a guy that I don't think will be a riser, I think it is Marvin Wilson. I think there yeah. at nine is yeah. probably his ceiling. I do not see Marvin Wilson being better than a top 10 prospect in 2021. I think what could damage his stock is if you don't see it get better because you need to continue to see it get better with Marvin Wilson, even as good as he was this past year, you need to see more moves come into his game. You need to see him even find ways to be more explosive and win more, uh, more pass rush reps. Yeah. I think just more consistently game to game dominance. If you see that from him and he's not going to test, you know, like a Fletcher Cox, like an Aaron Donald, that's not who he is. But if you don't have that elite explosiveness, you can win with elite power. And I do think he has elite power. Like I think he has an elite ability to, you know, just torque with his upper body grown men along the offensive line. And that's what we've seen from him over the course of his career at Florida state. And the fact that he was doing it already as a junior, you know, younger guy than Derek Brown did when he was a senior, than Javon Kinlaw did last year when they were both seniors, he was doing the similar things as a junior, just feel better about that. And so if he does take it to the next level in terms of just, is winning on a play after play basis. I, I think you'll, I think he could be a top 10 pick in 2021. So. All right. Give me the skinny on Gregory Rousseau. I, I look at him and I see, a, you know, not, not the rarest of that, not as rare as what Jadavion Clowney was, but a Jadavion Clowney type of player in that 
playing him all over the line scrimmage. He played a ton of nose tackle this past year, interior defensive line, edge defender. They stunted him a ton. And you saw him win with pure athletic ability. You didn't see him win a ton with his hands or win a ton with his moves. I think he's still a very raw player. Needs to improve from a polish standpoint. If he's going to line up at edge defender, you know, 40 snaps a game and beat the man in front of him without stunts and without, you know, any of the flair there. But with Rousseau, there's still like playing him in a Jadavion Clowney role is a win. I mean, moving him around the line of scrimmage, finding mismatches for him to take advantage of is a win in today's NFL, especially if you go into a creative defense like a Bill Belichick, what Brian Flores is doing, Matt Patricia, that Belichick tree that likes to blitz off ball linebackers. That's where I see Rousseau right now, which again, in certain defenses you can excel with, but if he's going to be that true top 10 pick, that true mm-hmm. best edge defender in this class, you got to beat the tackle in front of you in, in true pass set situations every day of the week. And so there's like a reason why scouts rely on traits the way Rousseau has in terms of long arms, uh, you know, explosiveness, that sort of thing, even height. It makes your job easier as a defensive lineman. Having these freaky tools that Rousseau has, it makes your life easier when you're going up against opposing offensive linemen. And so to see him, one, have those tools, to put him into action somewhat, you know, the flashes were there where he just, you know, was unblockable in certain games last year uh, and dominated. The flashes were there. And for him to ha- be admittedly raw, like h- him having a legitimate excuse being he didn't play, you know, he played what safety wide receiver coming out of high school, only switched to de- defense uh, his freshman year to play defensive line. Uh, legitimate excuses why he doesn't have a lot of pass rushing moves, but then the first time he puts it on tape, it's already like you, you already see the high level. You already see it being good. I I just think we're going to see a big leap from him this year. If we don't, obviously that's concerning. He will not stay in the top 10 on our draft board, but I just think there's a lot of sort of arrows pointing up with him where I'd get pretty excited about what we're going to see from him in 2020. All right. That's going to do it for the top 10 list on PFS top 50. I remember I encourage you for the 2021 NFL draft, go to PFF.com, check out the big board for the full list of 50 players. Now we're going to move on to um, some segments here to talk about this list. Going to talk first on who can improve their stock the most, the list of guys that can. But before we do so, Mike, kind of breaking as we're recording this now on Tuesday around 1230, Michael Pierce, the new Minnesota Vikings defensive tackle, is opting out for the 2020 season. That's another – I mean, him and Dante Hightower are on a similar boat in terms of high-profile names that will not be playing in 2020. I think this list, like you said, is going to continue to grow. You're going to see – I don't think six players per team is going to be a number that scares anyone. I think you're going to see it in that 6 to 10 range for the NFL. This one's interesting, too, because Hightower, Chung – they they're what third contract guys they've been around, they've made their money to a degree they, they, they don't necessarily need this this was michael pierce's he just signed his first free agent contract like he just made his money and now he's not going to see that first year salary which I, i'm not sure maybe he had a big signing bonus and like a small first year salary and so he doesn't really give too much of a shit but uh we'll see uh it's just interesting to see that the guy in his very first year uh, in a new contract. It's a little just it's a little different than yeah. the other two. 
All right, let's get into this list of guys that can improve their stock the most, starting with Bruce Feldman's number one player on the freaks list, Michigan edge defender, Quiddy Pay. First thing I'll mention about him is that you do see that explosiveness. You do see this rare athlete that can turn the corner when he does turn it on at Michigan. The second thing you notice is the dude's raw as hell. I mean, he leans on that inside move all day long, kind of bullies the inside shoulder of offensive tackles. Also, Michigan stunts, I think, at the highest percentage of any college football team, or at least any Power 5 team. They stunt a ton and open things up for other players there's a lot of pass rush snaps where quitty pay is not his primary goal is not to get after the quarterback rather open things up for other players too so looking at pass rush win rates thinking about how stunts affect those things is interesting but with quitty pay all the tools in the world that's evident in his film but I do think he's still I love that on the PFF 50 you have Aiden Hutchinson the Michigan edge vendor ahead of quitty pay because I think it's for this reason and it's for this reason Quiddy Pay needs to get a fuckload better. Like, that guy needs to get so much better if he's going to be a first-round pick. He also needs to show at the combine that he can actually clock a 6-3 cone because if that freaking happens, I don't even know if this guy's a real human being. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, he's not sniffing Bruce Feldman's freaks list. I'm not sure he's – not a chance. (laughs) He ain't winning any uh, athletic awards anytime soon, but he's just a much better football player right now. And and give me the guy who – you know, a technical position to some degree, given the guy who's better technically. And so he's Aiden Hutchinson's at 37, Quiddy Pay at 39. But like you mentioned, Quiddy Pay can get a lot higher on this list. He's just more of a battering ram right now than he Dude, is that's a perfect way pass to rusher. And, and they use him as a battering ram because they know that that's like what he is his, at his best doing. Mm-hmm. So it, it, if he gets to that level, like that's why I said, if, if that's why he has the most, you can improve his stock the most, he can get, that's the top five on this list. That's the t- sort of physical tools we're talking about. But right now, he's not close. All right. Moving forward down this list here, Trey Smith. He's another guy in addition to Penny Sewell that Jeff Schwartz was in love with with his film yes. at, uh, at Tennessee. I believe he has one of the highest percentage of big-time blocks, those highly graded blocks mm-hmm. in the run game. Um, you see that on his so – this guy's explosive. Another tools prospect that just hasn't been able to progress or develop at the rate that you'd like them to see due to some – um, health concerns, I think, with his lungs or blood clots in his blood lungs, lungs have yes. kept him really from progressing from this like uber five star freak to like yeah. a perennially dominant player in the NCAA. But like you think about this kid's ceiling, and if he turns in a very strong 2020 campaign, I, I would not be surprised if he's a first rounder, not in the slightest. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it's there are, we talk about legitimate excuses for why a guy hasn't developed. He has legitimate ass excuses for why yes. he hasn't really <laughs> gone from this. And like we, like I even touched on earlier, he was a good offensive lineman as a true freshman. That's rare to see. That's that, you know being above average as a true freshman just does not happen. And he was in our grading system, but then you know missed off seasons with those blood clots in his lungs, careers in jeopardy. If he comes back this year, puts together a full season of the play he's capable of. Now we saw to a degree down the stretch last uh, year at Tennessee we're talking about first round guard and he has those that physical ability to, uh, you know, be a pro bowl guard in the NFL. Just, you can't go through him even at this point. So uh, I'm a fan of his game, but again, it's a consistency based position. It's not a high, it's not a highlight reel based position. Like we've been talking about with Greg Russo on the defensive line. 
you need to be consistent so far as hasn't been that right now. All right. Some, some other edge defenders to mention here, and we talked about this a little bit at the top here, but it's Xavier Thomas of Clemson and Jason Oway of Penn state, two guys that you see the tools, you see the athletic ability, especially pre-snap. I, I think uh, Jason Oway get his get off is very, very good. Way better than each gross Matzos. I feel like I find myself constantly comparing the two, but he's just a better athlete. He gets off the ball so much quicker. And Xavier Thomas is in a similar boat as him. Both of these guys, again, how they improve their stock is the production. If you see consistency from a pass rush production standpoint in 2020, you can bank on the fact that you're going to see similar consistency in the NFL. PFF pass rushing grades at the collegiate level are one of the more predictive stats at the college level, uh, that and PFF passing grade correlating to the NFL. So you want to see that pass rushing grade um, at the college level, especially in the Power Five. So OA, he just needs – we just need to see him as a starter. Only 330 snaps last year. He's probably going to double that this year if they do play you know, 12 games in the Big 12, Big 10, excuse me. I just need to see what he does as a starter. And there's no real, like, big worrisome sort of things on his tape that I don't think he can get there. Uh, we just need to see it more from him. And Xavier Thomas, the, the role he played last year, we've talked about this a lot with him, just was not conducive to his skill set. He was not actually like even given the opportunity to rush the passer a lot of the times with that 317 defense where he just contained rushing on the outside. So hopefully he's put in a better situation to actually attack this year like he was as true freshman. So both those guys, like I'm not, I think you can improve their draft stock just by literally playing more in a role that suits them. They have, they have the skill set. They just, we need to see it. It's the sort of uh, our MO and why we're lower on them right now. Another name you have on this list is Jamie Newman, uh, the Georgia cornerback, yes. former Wake Forest transfer. He's 50th on the PFF top 50 entering the 2021 NFL draft. I know there are a lot of people in the building on board with Jamie Newman as a legitimate prospect. Uh, PFF Tresh or PFF Anthony is a big fan of Jamie oh, Newman's yeah. game. I know Seth is a fan as well. What's your opinion uh, of Jamie Newman? How, how does he get better this year? So he just gets, again, a good opportunity, a showcase opportunity in terms of you go from a Wake Forest offense that pretty much in every sense of the word can be described as college. They do those super slow RPOs, vertical, just straight go routes on the outside. Not actually a lot of things that uh, asking kind of what we talk about with Seth a little later on in the program in terms of are you asked to do stuff you'll be asked to do in the NFL? Or are you asked to do stuff that is very simplistic at the college level? Wake Forest, what he was asked to do there was simplistic. He's going to now Georgia, where Todd Munkins, their offensive coordinator, was literally just an offensive coordinator in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns before that Tampa Bay. So he's going to get an opportunity to showcase a lot better in that offense. I, I mean, I believe so. I think he's going to win the starting job there. Uh, I'm not too worried about that. But I think he's just going to get that opportunity. and. He could also crash his stock too. Like he could also go there, crash and burn, not even win the starting job and fall completely out of our top 50. That would be a disaster. Right now. <laughs> but he's going to get uh, that sort of showcase opportunity. And, and you're going to feel better about as, you know, a draft analyst, I'm going to feel better about his projection when I do see him in that, an offense like that. In a similar boat, Sean Wade's in the same in the same boat. I mean, yep. he's going to go from slot corner to outside corner now that Jeffrey Okuda is playing with the Detroit Lions. And this past year, very productive in the slot. I really liked his tape playing slot corner for the for the Buckeyes this past year. But he's going to move to outside corner. See if he can stick with outside guys in a ton of you know um, single coverage looks. It's 
it's put up or you know put up or die really like if he doesn't play well at outside corner you're going to see I don't think he's going to die but i mean I not die that was a little aggressive was, okay i'm sorry the word choice i would have gone i did but. not like that word choice a ton <laughs> i'm going to reel it back in Sean Wade has to perform at outside corner if he's going to be considered a top pick. So uh, again, I don't think he, I don't think he could actually tank his stock because he's almost had like a proven, uh, almost like Mickey Fitzpatrick, where it's like, hey, he still can be a damn good slot, and you're going to be, uh, so he's not going to fall off boards like entirely. But it, he can, he has an opportunity to establish himself as cornerback one if he plays lights out football on the outside. So that that is all you can really ask for. And again, you'll feel better about drafting a guy. If you would have gone out last year, it would have been like, do we try out? Do we take a flyer on him end around one and see if we can transition him to the outside cornerback? I don't think, I think a lot of teams still would have been wary about that. So uh, I do agree with his decision to come back to school and think he can push his way like towards the top 10 with a big year. Do you really think that in him playing, he, he's going to thrive at outside corner? I, I don't know if I saw the level of twitchiness, the match and mirror ability to play yeah. outside corner. I don't know. Like I, Again, it, it like, it's a lot of it's a projection. When he was in press man, it did not look as – I mean, it didn't look anything like uh, Kuda, Jeffrey Kuda, but that's you know that's a high bar to clear. So looks more like Arnett, in my opinion. I don't know. We'll see. Um, diving into this next name here, a couple more guys to mention in this segment. Kyle Pitts and Chaz Surratt, two names that could improve their stock. I, Chaz Surratt just needs – man, if he can just contain himself a little bit. He's a bowling ball right now. He's reckless as yeah. hell and very raw. Obviously a former quarterback there at UNC playing off-ball linebacker now. But the tools, man, I do like the tools. Seth, not a huge fan of Chaz Surratt. He did not grade well this past year. How many? What's the missed tackle stat? This guy missed a shitload. Oh, he missed over a quarter of his tackles. He had 27 missed tackles this past season. Missed over a quarter of his that's tackles. The, that's the thing. It's He just played quarterback. He's a legitimate excuse for those missed tackles. If he can clean those up next year, if that can really improve, it, he could make his way into the first-round conversation. And then with Pitts at tight end, like gain 15 pounds, you can make your way into the first – you know, you can, you can push your way up the draft board, like just prove that you can put on some muscle, basically, yeah. is all Pitts really needs to do because that guy's a freak. Dude, I love Kyle Pitts. Some people are highlighting Friar Moose as maybe the tight end one in the 2021 draft. Where are you between those two? This is the conversation of what do you want in your offense? Do you want a guy who can inline block? Is that necessary for you at tight end? Mm-hmm. By all means, go draft Firemouth. If you're asking purely what they can do as receivers, I don't think it's close. Like Pitts is different than any tight end I've seen at the college level in the past handful of years. He dude can just move. He can actually separate. Like he can yeah. actually, you, you play him out wide. I think it goes back to like Travis Kelsey. And I think you've made that comparison too. This past year, people don't realize Travis Kelsey ranked inside the top three in yards per run at outside receiver. When he played, and he lined up there over 100 routes, over 100 routes at outside receiver, and still blew people out of the water playing outside receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs this past year. That's the type of production you could see Kyle Pitts have if used in a versatile role. If Andy Reid, the, the puppet master there in KC, with Miko Hardman, Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Kelsey, really using those guys effectively, Kyle Pitts in a good offense, man, look out. And Pitts is 21st on our board, and I'm saying he could still raise his draft stock high because I think <laughs> that's how talented he is as a receiver. He was he was the best receiver in a receiving core that had three receivers drafted last year, and he led them mm-hmm. in yards, Florida. So that's how talented I think he is. He can win from the outside like an outside wide receiver. So big fan of this game. 
All righty. Moving forward, now let's move to the next segment here. Let's talk about guys that PFF will be higher on than the consensus due to, you know, is higher on. Is higher on. True. Yeah. Tank these guys. Like, we could at some point be like, no, I don't want to. Like, never mind. These guys are trash. Yeah. All right. Start. Let's start it off with Brock Purdy. We could Jared Pinkney these guys. (laughs) Yeah. We could definitely Jared Pinkney these guys. Um, Let's start off with Brock Purdy, the Iowa State. Uh, quarterback Seth's a big fan you'll hear that interview later in the podcast I know you're a big fan Tresh is all on board with uh, Brock Purdy Uh, it sounds like PFF's all in on the Iowa State single color and this is the type of guy we're going to be higher on where the old school projectable NFL things size he's 6'1 210 Uh, Mm -hmm. arm strength are not elite by any means, yeah. he doesn't have those. He doesn't have those of a top five. Your prototypical first round quarterback does not have arm strength or height like Purdy has for the last twenty years. Guys have just they've overlooked guys that look like Brock Purdy. The other things though that we care about, and that's you know actually playing football at a high level, being accurate with football, making decisions on time, quick decisions. I think Purdy does those exceptionally well, and he's also we've said this: he's a gamer, like the guy does what it takes to win is going to, you know, dive for that first down instead of sliding at the markers. He has that gamer sixth sense that I want on my football team. So he's 15th on our list. And uh, I mean, can even push his way higher if he has a big year this upcoming year? Yeah. Especially, I mean, you know, PFF's board, I think more than others too, will always factor in positional value. Well, if you view, maybe you don't view Purdy or Jamie Newman as these top players, like they play the quarterback position. And if they have potential, you know, high percentage chances of playing the quarterback position in the NFL at a high level, they're going to rank high on our board. That just makes the most sense. All right, some other names here are Darius Washington. We've talked about him a handful of times on the podcast, a guy that was on the Bruce Feldman's Freaks list. He's one of the two TCU safeties, the other one being Trayvon Morick, that has graded super well in the Big 12 here at PFF. The biggest issue is that he's small as hell. I mean, people are going to make – I don't think people will make this comparison, but Carl Joseph comes to mind as the last, like, really small safety, but, like, there was a lot to like about his game. He had range. He hit, he was a hard hitter. He was, really he was like, short but not small, though, right? He was, like, yeah. 195. Yeah, Carl, like Carl Joseph was pretty – pre-jacked but with our Darius Washington he's a bit small but the range is there the instincts you've made a comparison to Tyron Matthew I really like what he's done playing deep I think when he's playing deep and evaluating you know or pattern recognition on the deep side of things is very good I really like his game I just can't see him being bad in the NFL you know I don't know how to like the way some of the plays he makes and the way he sees the game it's going to be difficult for me to see him going to the NFL and just sucking you know and just being like because he almost never has bad reads on his tape. There's just not a lot of times where he's like either, you know, very slow to read something or miss screw something up like entirely. He's just very sound at the safety position. So he's our safety one right now, 17th on the board. Uh, obviously not going to be everybody's cup of tea at that size. And that, you know, everyone wants a long safety with, uh, you know, 33 inch arms never going to be that guy but he can play football better than pretty much any safety in college football right now all right rondo moore is also on this list we've talked about him a ton i think everyone there's going to be a lot of people high on rondo moore i'll be honest the other name is pretty really, high though we're the top no, 10 i don't think a lot of people are going to be calling for him as top 10 pick but i am okay okay let it be known all right uh other name uh chris rumpf the duke edge defender that created ridiculously well for pff you've said best moves in 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 college football as a pass rusher i think his dad is a pass um is a linebackers coach or a defensive line coach in the in the ncaa the problem is is a, is a similar to washington he's small 
He's a smaller player that needs to add some weight to his frame for the NFL to really see him as a, as a top talent. Uh, I think his dad actually moved on to NFL level, right? Oh, here we go. I'm not sure somewhere, but um, his, but yeah, his dad obviously was a coach or is a coach. And, and that's why he's probably the most sound sort of pass rusher in college football that I've seen in quite some time. And just his move set, like he just has a ton of moves and he can deploy and win inside outside, but he is 225 pounds. And that is far too small to feel good about protecting the NFL. So we'll be higher on him unless he, doesn't gain like any weight at all and shows up at 225 in the combine then that's just that's just too small but i think if he gets in even like 235 i'll be on board with his projection he's just too good uh too different from any other guy i've seen at that size uh that i think he could still win two more names here aiden hutchinson and Corey durden i i really like aiden hutchinson I, we were talking a little bit over the weekend made some brett kiesel comparisons i mean he's stiff he i think it's he's your old he's your old school three four d like that he yeah, is yeah. That body type for sure i mean he's stiff i feel like his change direction is rough i don't love his bend but like he he is one of the better bull rushers in this pass rusher or in this edge defender class for sure i mean you see him walk back some very good offensive tackles on his tape especially he had an opportunity to go back against alabama's offensive tackles you know iowa tristan worse like he had some opportunities to really go against some top talent in the tackle position and you saw good tape against every tackle he didn't always beat you know beat the guy in front of him emphatically but you saw good tape against every offensive line he faced you said you said to me before high floor player i feel that way as well yeah and so we've already touched on why we're high on hutchinson and a lot of people probably won't be as because the athleticism but Corey durden the fsu dt is the interesting one because i feel like a lot of people overrate ugly reps along the defensive line like losing to us along the defensive line isn't at nearly as uh, important as just being able to win and being able to win consistently. Like if you, if you have reps where you get taken off the ball, like Durden does uh, a lot on his tape, I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. He has some really bad reps and some pass rushes where he falls flat in his face and it looks like shit, but he also has the most pressures of any inter- returning defensive tackle in the country. Uh, one of the best pass rush grades as well. He just was uber productive uh, on a high number of snaps this past season and is six foot five, 315 pounds. He has the ideal body type for your do it all DT. So uh, he comes in at 45th on our list. And honestly, he could even be on the guys who we talked about improve your draft stock the most. You just clean some of that up. Uh, this guy has the physical tools of a first rounder. All right. Last call. I'm going to rattle off some takes on this list. I think. No. I think one, Caleb Farley there, I think at 11 or no, 12 12. on this list. I I think he could go up to, I really, really do like Caleb Farley's game. And right there at 13 as well, Jalen Waddell, another, you know, a a very good receiver class. He's another guy that could outperform that rank there. And one I'll say, I think Nick Bolton might be a little high in the mid twenties. I need to see more from Bolton. I know he graded really well for PFF, but I think there's, I want to see more from Nick Bolton this upcoming season, make more plays in the passing game specifically on plays where he's reacting to things in front of him, not necessarily getting gifted some of these pick sixes he had at Missouri this past year. Kyle Trask threw him a birthday present in that Florida game that he dropped he could have had for a pick six. But I want to see more from Nick Bolton. And one more call out here. Uh, Love Chris Olave. And then there at 41, Asante Samuel Jr. is good. Asante Samuel Jr. is really good. I know he's a smaller player. I, Mm. I, I think he can get, he can climb up into the top 20 and maybe into the top 30 break into the first round with another successful season at Florida state. He's got the moving skills. I think he's got the demeanor to play 
in in the secondary. I won't commit him at outside cornerback, but in the secondary at a high level in the NFL. Yeah, the one guy you called out to me after reading this list, Olave, that I was just like, yeah, why why am I not a little higher on Olave? Like, I, there was no. I think there was just nothing that got me like super excited about his tape, but it was just all very just good. good. Like there was also nothing that I was like, damn, he needs like that needs to change. It is just all around solid wide receiver. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you. Olave is very, uh, I got one more, one Olave. more take on my last call and then you can kind of rip it up if you'd like. Okay. Uh, I think Rashad Bateman's too high at 20. I, I did not love, I did not love Rashad Bateman at 20. I don't think okay, that here, here's the take. Here's the take. <laughs> I don't think the differences between Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman are that crazy. I don't think they're that crazy. I, I, I don't understand. Like, he gets open very similarly, in my opinion. I, I don't know. I, I want to see more from Rashad Bateman. That offense Bateman. is not uh, – I mean, it's simplistic. Like, it's RPOs, verticals. He's not, he's not doing a ton. Uh, he's not an elite athlete. Definitely things. not. But I, I think he's more than good enough. He has good size to it, like 6'2", 205. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it You're goes wrong, with Bateman. Any, any, any last calls from you, Mike? No, the list is perfect as is, I thought. Jesus Christ. All right, well, go check, out the PFF, go check out the PFF 50 on PFF.com. That's looking at the top 50 players in the 2021 NFL Draft. Also, make sure to download, subscribe, um, leave a review on the podcast but until then let's jump to the Seth Galina interview and we'll talk to you guys next week joining the two for one drafts podcast is none other than PFF's own Seth Galina the second time you've been on the pod with us Seth Seth third how time. are things going we need third to open time. up with this third time yeah. we need to third open time. up with this yeah. you recently posted on your you recently posted on your Twitter account that the first dates aren't hitting Give us, give us some more detail. I need to know. No, no, no. Can we, can we read the exact tweet here? Which said, okay. probably not. Probably not great for engagement, but your tweet was exactly, my first date conversion rate is awful. I've been on many first dates on not many second dates this year. I'll disregard the typo, but that's, that's just a feel for you, Seth. I want to include a typo. I think it's part of the experience. No, it's part no. of the fucking sadness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the typo. Well, the thing is, I I don't know if you guys tweet, um, obviously a lot and typos really, really get to you. Uh, I didn't, wasn't able to sleep last night because I knew I had a typo (laughs) in a tweet yesterday. Um, yeah. So look, it's just, it hasn't been going that great. Um, in 2020. Now, one of the things I do like in 2020 is the socially distanced park dates. I'm very into them because there's like a time limit on them. Because I'm very uninteresting, um, and your, your listeners probably already know that from the, listening to me on the podcast. But so after like an hour and a half, after two hours, both parties have to pee, and so it's just like it's like a natural ending to the date. Um, so that's a, so I feel like that's a good thing for me because I, I I run out of things to talk about about you know thirty four minutes into each date. I've timed this, of course. Uh, so. After 34 minutes, I'm like, well, you know, like, well, so do you like, you like the weather, you know, stuff like that. So it's not really going very well. Dude, it sounds fucking brutal. Man, this is is what it sounds like. like I'm ready to give up on this date right now. Right? Like, this is what it sounds (laughs) like to date Seth Galina. And um, clearly hasn't been going that well. 
Well, let's get into some actual football stuff. I know you're doing a lot on the, the college football side, specifically working on something that you've teased a little bit on Twitter. I know others have as well. It's the PFF's first ever college football preview magazine. Talk about worst timing ever. I mean, fuck, we don't know what the college football season is going to like with COVID and how it's impacting the United States. However, if we had to just talk about it positively, talk about all the work that's gone into this and what you've done uh, to boost this thing up. I don't remember anything that I did for the college football preview because I watched so much football in such a short little time that every football play looks the same to me right now. Like, I can't tell the difference between anything anymore. Uh, but it was such a fun experience to just go and, and find stuff. You know, you know, obviously, we have such an unbelievable amount of data at our fingertips um, for college and NFL. And, like, just being able to uh, find stuff that I think a lot of people, and not just me, you know, um, PFF Tony, uh, Anthony Tresh, had a, did an unbelievable job also finding stuff that I think other places don't have. I'm not saying other places aren't uh, good publications. It's just we have stuff that they don't have that we can add to to the dialogue, I think. So, you know, I watched so much bad football over the past two months. Uh, just trying to find anything, trying to find some positive spin on, like, Vanderbilt or some positive spin on, on uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Maybe that's why the dates have been so bad because I've been such a I've been such a bad headspace recently. <laughs> um, I, mean, I also want to talk about go football on a date. That's probably not going to go. Well. I'll just say like that's unless they went to Vanderbilt. That's about the only yeah. time I'd want to talk about Vanderbilt football. Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of Vanderbilt grads in Montreal, Quebec. So. Yeah. <laughs> You have another piece coming out for PFF, too, about looking at situations for potential Heisman candidates and who has maybe the easiest situation to put up the numbers, put up the wins to come away with the Heisman Trophy. Because that's what it's about. It's about wins and it's about you know, yardage, touchdowns, all that stuff. So I feel like it's really important. I mean, Ohio State is a system that obviously comes out that is going to score a ton this upcoming year. But talk to me about, you know, what you've done with that piece and who has some of the easier situations next year. Yeah, so this was super fun to put together. I looked at a bunch of different um, things. <laughs> it's nice. great, my, my great vocabulary here. Uh, that kind of, I thought, um, kind of give the offenses uh, a, a bit of a floor, let's say. So I looked at like, okay, well, how many times are they running RPO? And then compare that to how many times that uh, another team would run like a quick game passing concept. So like the difference being reading one defender and then being able to either throw, let's say a slant or just hand the ball off to the running back compared to reading a defender and then having to throw two different routes or three different routes or something like that. Um, so just kind of looking at those type of things, screen, how many times they threw a screen pass. Cause obviously if you're throwing a screen pass to Travis Etienne and he goes and gets you uh, 75 yards because he's, he's, Travis uh, he's good yeah yeah like that 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 goes in the stats right we know that so mm -hmm. that's going to look better on on the stat sheet that Heisman voters look at so I kind of looked at those type of things and ranked them I looked at uh 14 quarterbacks I didn't use Jamie Newman because we don't know much about what Todd Munkin is going to bring is he going to bring kind of more of the Baker Mayfield stuff that he he was working with in Cleveland or more like the Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick stuff that he, when he was calling plays in Tampa Bay. So I, I wasn't sure about that. Uh, or like the stuff he was doing at like Oklahoma state. So I don't know, but anyways, 
taking out Newman, the guy who I found, and it kind of makes sense, was the new Oklahoma quarterback, Spencer Rattler, has the cushiest offense. And it makes sense because look at what, look what Lincoln Riley's done the past three years in yeah. terms of, of putting guys in, into – getting guys into New York, right? Who's the – what's the flip side of the coin, though? Who among the top quarterbacks in college football is kind of like – you know, they don't have a great situation or they might not be in the most favorable to put up big numbers. So the, it's kind of obvious now that I, I didn't know this was going to happen. It's kind of obvious now. And it's Miles Brennan at LSU. And now they're going to change the offense. So like take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But what it kind of shows what Burrow did last year was kind of in, incredible because mm-hmm. uh, he had to throw over the middle of the field a lot. No, obviously they threw the ball a lot and he threw the ball. Like I also have another ranking of like goal to go situation. So like, is your offensive coordinator uh, allowing you to throw the ball on the three yard line? That's going to put up yeah, numbers, right? Yeah. Uh, but still like, you know, they didn't, they threw a lot of quick game, not so much RPOs, not a lot of screens, uh, not a lot of play action. It's just him just dropping back and throwing the football over the middle of the field and doing it at such an incredible level. And that's why he was the first pick in the draft and why he was our, you know, um, I think he's like our highest wins above replacement, uh, wins above average quarterback of all time. So, you know, I think it's more that is more about how good Joe Burrow was in the offense last year rather than what they might do with Brennan coming up. All right, let's move more to the draft here where my top eight quarterbacks are coming out on Wednesday. If you're listening this Wednesday, they're already on the website. I'm going to go through them here with you, Seth. Obviously, we've talked about this a little bit, but this was you know, how I felt about these guys. You, you haven't uh, seen these rankings yet. So I'm going to go through these top eight. You're going to tell me where I got it wrong, what needs to be changed, and maybe who I missed in this top eight for the 2021 draft. So number one, Trevor Lawrence. Number two, Justin Fields of Ohio State. Number three, Trey Lance, North Dakota State. Four, Brock Purdy, Iowa State. Five, Jamie Newman, Georgia, formerly Wake Forest. Sam Ellinger, Texas. Seven, Kyle Trask, Florida. And then eight, Shane Bouchel, SMU. What I miss? What I do wrong? Well, I, there's a couple guys. No, I think those are like the, the top guys okay. for sure. That's not even a question. Uh, one of the interesting things was Brock Purdy is not even in the top 15 and one of the betting websites I went on, he's not even in the top 15, uh, like, favorites to win the Heisman, which I thought was crazy um, because he's good. <laughs> like you said, I mean, he's really like, good. And they put it all on him, too. It's like, yeah, yeah. well, exactly. Uh, I'll give you where he ranked in, our, in, our, in my uh, little, little thing here. Yeah, right in the middle, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Iowa State offense. So the guys that I think uh, I can see uh, – really doing damage this year (laughs) sorry doing damage this year uh i like the guys who when i watched felt like they could go through progressions felt like they could sit in the pocket i mean that's my bias as a quarterback coach but but there's the guys i like two guys are like i don't know i I can't believe i'm gonna say this out loud but kellen mon and jared uh yeah tennessee they like okay there's a lot of inconsistencies there i get it but I, I, when I look at them, I'm like, okay, th- there's something there where if they're able to kind of be insulated, maybe by a better offense. And then, you know, Mond uh, at Texas A&M, they play in like that pro style Jimbo Fisher yes. type of offense where they're not doing all those stuff that on the flip side, like a, a North Carolina does with Sam Howell. He, 
so I, so I think that if you gave him uh, a, a different type of offense, he would look better. Okay. Um, because I think in all the drop back stuff, he does look pretty good. Um, just obviously the inconsistency uh, sometimes. Uh, so I think that he's a guy who I could see moving up a lot. Obviously, Texas A&M, a lot of people are talking about them to make a play in the SEC West, so we'll see. The other guy is just, like, I, I like Mac Jones. Like, maybe it's just, like, the incredible amount of talent around him last year, which he still has. Yeah. But, he, you know, he, he gets through his progressions. He, he ties his feet well to, to, the, to the progressions and uh, pretty accurate, um, can move around a bit. So he adds that to his game. So I like him, too. I'll have to Are go back some... and watch Mont because I, I, I've watched <laughs> yeah. him from, what was it, 18. And then I watched – I didn't watch probably as much in 19 because I saw a lot of the same guy. And I was like, this is – I just wasn't a fan of his consistency. I do not like his release the way he gets rid of that ball. Oh, you God, might be alone. It's just like I just don't think he's going to be – I don't know. But he is athletic and he makes some real nice throws, especially on the move. So we'll see. Are there some big name quarterbacks that you hate right now that you just can't get on board with? Well, okay, so I'll say that I, I don't. Uh, this is not necessarily just like you know uh, draft eligible guys, but like one of the guys who I think is interesting is uh, Sam Howell because he's 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 very good. I'm not I'm not really, and he's a true freshman, so it's like the season he had as a true freshman is fantastic. But again, I go back to like, well, what? I go back to like what um, the te- what what's the offense that he that he lives in, and with with you know his offensive coordinator Phil Longo, he's like the RPO king of college football. So there's a lot of plays where it's like, well, I'm just going to take this one on one matchup, and and he's again like I, I'm not trying to take anything away from how good he is. Uh, he'll take the one on one matchup. He throws a freaking accurate ball. So like I'm not again I'm not trying to take anything away, but the offense gives him a floor that I think when I go on the flip side, I look at a guy like Keaton Slovis at USC where they're not doing a lot of that stuff. They're making him drop back, throw the football a lot, and he's making plays. So if you, so like, I think that the, the Sam Howell stuff is, he's a little teeny weeny. And I'm again, afraid to say this out loud, but teeny weeny, little bit overrated, but um I still think he's a good quarterback. So, and he was again true freshman. So, uh, like that's kind of the guy where I'm like, ah, I'm not. I want to see it another year, I guess, with Sam Howell. All right, give us an elevator pitch on the top three guys because I think these are the three names: Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance that would be talked about as top five, top ten picks in the 2021 NFL Draft. Give me the positives and negatives. Kind of a quick pitch on all three of those guys. I mean, the negative for for Lance is, is going to be the same. I think, like, just the level of competition. Um, but, but the sample positive, size though, I mean, yeah. I feel like he hasn't thrown the ball a ton either. Well, that, that's the other thing, but I, I do feel like when he does throw it, like there's some like, you know, quote unquote pro concepts in there and he, and he gets a job done and it's not like he's just throwing like these fades. Um, like when I watch like Derek King, who I think is a good quarterback, you know, when you watch him in the 2018 season at Houston, there's a lot of just like seven man protection. Let me just throw a, 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 a go ball. And, and, you know, with, with Lance, there's a lot more nuance, I think, to the offense there at North Dakota State. So I think that that's the positive with, with Lance. With Fields, the negative is just the simplicity probably of the offense, like kind of the flip side of, of uh, Trey Lance. Uh, I have him at the least amount of – in my little sample of uh, quarterbacks here, I have him in the least amount of throws 
uh, inside like the middle of the field. So all those throws are outside the numbers. You know, they love that like, okay, it's, it's Ohio State, so defenses are going to play them with like off corners. And they're going to take a 10-yard hitch every, every, every time there. So I think that is the issue with fields. Uh, the other issue, maybe he adds a little bit of a hitch. Uh, like he's got to like trim the fat a little bit off his like footwork. Um, but the other, the other side of spectrum is that he's really good. Like he doesn't make mistakes. And I keep saying that like where go find me uh, 20 plays of the whole season where you're like, okay, yeah, I, I, you know, if I was playing quarterback, I wouldn't have done that. Or I wouldn't have thrown the ball there on that side, you know, that, shoulder or, or upfield or, or downfield or, or, you know, he was covered in this place. So I wanted to throw it there. Like you just don't find that very often with him. And I think that's the, the, the main thing with fields uh, with Lawrence. The downside is <laughs> he's right now, oh, man, I, again, I, why am I saying this stuff out loud? I'm really setting myself up for my mentions to get Let's roasted get today, but, <laughs> but like, I, I feel like he hasn't shown so much ability to just go through progressions and be that NFL quarterback. And especially last year was him just staring down his first reads a lot. And it, he's so good that he's able to do it, but you'd like to see him work on that a bit more. And some of that is the, the Clemson offense is kind of, I would say simple. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it simple, is, I mean, right? It's, honestly, it's simple. They've been running the same stuff for, for you know, since Dabo got there, uh, you know, became the OC, became the head coach. So it's like, it's, everyone knows what they're doing, but they kind of get away with it because their receivers are, are special. Now, obviously, he's losing his top two receivers from last year. So that'll change things. But I don't know. He's just like, he gets the job done because he's so good but i'd like to see him more kind of go through progressions and uh and deliver the ball accurately even underneath uh not great when he has to come off those first reads so i'd like to see him do more of that in 2020 what do you think lawrence's first date success rate is i feel like that guy's probably had a decent amount of success (laughs) he got engaged he's only 20 that i feel like is a red flag though getting engaged that early when the world's at your fingertips i don't know she better be the soulmate man that's all i'm gonna say um i think another thing i wanted to touch on as well is that if you know we can close out with this seth there's there's doubts around the nfl season there's doubts around ncaa season CFL is alive and well. If we had to pursue a CFL team, if the listeners had to pursue a CFL team, do we go all in on the Alouettes? Uh, Vernon Adams, the starting quarterback for my Montreal Alouettes. Uh, <laughs> they're going to do – so the CFL, I'm pretty sure, is going to do a bubble in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. uh, the great city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Nice stadium there. So if you want to, like, I've been to a couple CFL stadiums, Montreal, obviously, Toronto, Saskatchewan. Wait, so uh, how are they going to do a bubble, though, if with just one stadium there in Winnipeg? I think they'll probably, well, how many teams? Do you know how many teams? First of all, how many cities do you think have over, like, 250 people? In, in no idea, dude. I have no idea. <laughs> there's, there's nine teams in the CFL. I hope I'm right with that. So Vancouver. Uh, the BC Lions, you have Edmonton, who are about to change their name because uh, it's uh, they have a racist name. Uh, Winnipeg, 
Saskatchewan, Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, Montreal. And I feel like I missed one. But yeah, that's so those are oh uh, Calgary. So like I, I would say like pick a team based on colors. So if you like that like that like dark, you know, red and black, then you have either Ottawa or Calgary. Montreal, I don't think anyone's going to pick based on their colors. They, they, I'm not a big fan of their jerseys. I want to pick my Ottawa. team based on quarterback. Who's the, uh, who's the best quarterback in the CFL? You have Vernon Adams. You have Bo Levi Mitchell, who is like one of the best quarterbacks of all time in the CFL. Uh, and then after that, I don't, I don't know who's the quarterback. <laughs> That's oh, oh, hold on. Jeremiah Masoli is the quarterback for Ooh. Hamilton. Yeah, so there's like – I think like you go look at names that you recognize from – college football maybe some stints in NFL and then you pick your your team like that because at the end of the day like there's only nine teams there's a lot of parity because well there's a lot of reasons why there's no parity uh why there's a lot of parity in the CFL one of them is just like you know you can't hold on to players that long because in salaries um teams can't afford to hold on to players that long so I would say go pick based on either jerseys either you know how nice the their like city is uh, or or um, or what uh, the players you remember from from watching college football? So I just looked up Edmonton, and they are the Edmonton football team now. They are they the are Washington the, yeah. football. They are they, that yeah. is what they're known. Wait, what as was now. their name? Uh, they were the. I mean, it's a racial slur. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, fair, fair enough. But it's fair a racial enough. slur for Inuits. So yeah, exactly. Go look that one up. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, Seth, really appreciate you coming on the pod. I think I'm going to commit to Montreal. I'm going to commit to Vernon Adams and the Montreal Alouettes. I do love that city too. I've been there three or four times. I am a huge fan. I'm going all yeah, in on I've our been here a couple times too. Our Alouettes. Well, uh, Seth, really appreciate your time. We'll have to get you back on the pod soon. All right. Thanks, guys.